Ezra read God's word from daylight to midday, some six hours, and the people listened. This was a move of the Spirit of God. People who will be attentive to the book of the law for some six hours are people that have to be touched by the Spirit of God. From morning is literally the light. These people gathered from dawn to hear God's word. They were willing to sacrifice something to hear it, and that was their time. Maybe a little bit of comfort because maybe they did want to sit down. Take an inventory of how you spend your time each day. This will reveal much about where your priorities lie. Is study of God's Word high on your list, or does it get beat out by social media, television, or hobbies? Today, Pastor Mark teaches a strong emphasis on God's Word is a primary mark of spiritual renewal. You don't desire God's Word unless the Spirit is moving and working in you. If you want to see change in your life, you must be willing to let the Bible do hard work in your heart. Foster an attentive and reverent attitude as you read Scripture, and you'll find the Spirit causing you to hunger for more. Well, let's join Pastor Mark in the book of Nehemiah chapter 8 for today's edition of Come Alive. There's a story, and I was reading about it. There's about these two little old ladies, and they were walking out of church one day, and one of the ladies had said, my, that preacher certainly preaches for a long time. And her friend replied, no, he really doesn't preach a long time. It just seems like a long time. And I I thought about that story as we turn to Nehemiah chapter 8 this morning as we look at our verses there. When I was looking over the text here that we have before us, I, I remembered thinking about that story and wondered what would they have thought if they lived in this time, if they were at this place in this period in time. This, what we're about to read, is about a six hour Bible reading and preaching. And it was at the people's request. It wasn't because they were forced to go. It was at the request of the people, during which the people had stood the whole time. And in Jewish history, in most synagogues, when the rabbi gets up on the stage, he sits down and the people stand up. I like that idea. You may not, but I do. I love it. But anyway, you know, I began to wonder what these people, because that seems to be a common theme sometimes. I have friends and, you know, they'll talk about, man, it seemed like church was very long. And there are those sections where, you know, the genealogies and, and through some of those things that it seems like it's very long. But they're important because it's in God's word. And obviously he wants us to know it for whatever reason there may have been. Just like last week, you know, from chapter 10 or 12 to verse 73 was nothing but genealogies. And so that really shows, as we talked about, that God cares about you, cares about the people. He remembers your name. He knows your name. But not only that, the people here that we read about today, they came back the next day for more. And this is a very remarkable situation that we read about in Nehemiah chapter 8. It would be accurate to call it a revival or a time of unusual spiritual renewal. 
at the center of this revival was the exposition of Scripture. In fact, there's a guy named Derek Kidner, and he states that this day was to prove a turning point. From now on, the Jews would predominantly be a people of the book. Uh, Let me ask you this question. Are you a people of the book? Or are you a people of Sunday, where we show up on Sunday and that should be good enough? In fact, our text teaches us this. A strong emphasis on God's word is a primary mark of spiritual renewal. A strong emphasis on God's word is a primary mark of spiritual renewal. Down through the centuries, God's people have gone through cycles where his word has been neglected. And the spiritual condition of his people begins to, well, it begins to deteriorate. You know, in his grace, God sends renewal. Inevitably, one of the main marks of such a renewal is a renewed emphasis on God's word. When people are excited to look at God's word, to hear from the Lord, to meet with him individually, privately, and also corporately. See, we see in the Old Testament when Judah languished under the godless reign of King Manasseh and his son Ammon, and that's in Second Chronicles 34, Ammon's son Josiah, well, he began to seek the Lord when he was about 16 years old. All of a sudden, he began to institute some spiritual reforms. Then Hilkiah, the priest, found a copy of God's word or law, and Josiah called the nation to repentance. God's word will change us if we allow it. See, revival ensued because God's word was obeyed. Uh, You know, I hear people all the time, especially in Christian circles, and they're always talking about how they want revival. We want revival, right? I mean, if I asked you and said, let's do a show of hands, how many of you would want revival? I'm sure as Christians, all of our hands would go up in the air. Uh, But before you can have revival... God's word needs to be obeyed, and and revival actually starts with an individual. starts with you. Because remember, as we always say, who's the church? The answer is, we are. We are the church. So the same thing happened during the Reformation, which is at the heart was a revival of God's word. The Roman Catholic Church had neglected the word. Priests were the only ones with access to it, and most of them were ignorant of its contents. John Wycliffe and William Tyndale labored to get the Bible translated into common English. Martin Luther translated the Bible into German. A guy named John Calvin began to preach expository sermons explaining and applying the word to the people of Geneva. And the Reformation theme, Sola Scriptura, renewed God's people. There was a renewal. The same thing was true of the great Puritan revivalists in England and America during the 16th and the 17th centuries. Someone said, for Puritanism was above all else a Bible movement. To the Puritan, the Bible was in truth the most precious possession that this world affords. His deepest conviction was that reverence for God means reverence for Scripture. And serving God means obeying Scripture. To his mind, therefore, no greater insult could be offered to the Creator than neglect his written word. And conversely, there could be no truer act of homage to him than to prize it over and pour over it, and then to live it out and give it out its teachings. Intense veneration for Scripture as the living word of the living God and a devoted concern to know and to do all that prescribes was the Puritan's hallmark. 
And you think about it, that's awesome. So let's move forward. And you're like, okay, well, that's all great. That was back then when they didn't have all this stuff. They didn't have, you know, the distractions of today. Well, then there was a thing called the Jesus movement. And an older man, about 40, 42 years old, named Chuck Smith, decided he wanted to get away from the denominational teachings that he was doing. And he planted himself in a small church, called it Calvary Chapel, and that's in Costa Mesa, and began just reading God's word and going through it expositionally. And all of a sudden, here comes this Jesus movement where our, our modern worship music comes from, the contemporary music. The hippies would bring their guitars. They would praise the Lord and they would sing songs to him. Because as we talked about last week, one of the natural outpourings of a Christian should be praise. When you see a beautiful sunset or you see something amazing, you stand back and whether you know the person next to you or not, sometimes during that thing, if you're one of those people and you see something great, you just kind of look at them and like, man, isn't that cool? Isn't that amazing? Because praise needs to be shared. When something glorious happens, we want to share it. That's just in our DNA. If you'll look with me this morning at verse 1, we'll start there in chapter 8 of Nehemiah. Chapter 8, verse 1 says, And all the people gathered themselves together as one man into the street that was before the water gate. And they spoke unto Ezra the scribe to bring the book, or they asked him to bring out the book, of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded to Israel. And Ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation, both of the men and the women, and all that could hear with understanding upon the first day of the seventh month. And he read therein before the street that was before the water gate from the morning until midday, before the men and the women and the those that could understand, and the ears of all the people were attentive unto the book of the law. So here we see what this demonstrates here. This demonstrates that the Spirit of God was at work even before the reading of God's Word. The Spirit of God was at work even before the reading of God's Word. People do not gather together as one man for the things of God unless the Spirit of God has moved them. You and I have to understand that. We have to know. And they do not desire God's Word unless the Spirit of God has moved them. If you attend to the hearing of the Word of God, it's evidence that the Spirit of God is working with you. Now, there are those times where you might be like, man, I just don't feel like reading, and you feel the the inkling to do that. You kind of feel a nudge towards your Bible, and so that's the Spirit of God working in you. Now, you can either obey or you can quench the Holy Spirit. If you attend to the hearing of the Word of God, it's evidence that the Spirit of God is working in you. But it's still important to cooperate with that work and to not resist it. A lot of people resist it. We need to cooperate and flow with the work of God's Spirit if the Word of God is going to do its full work in you and I. It's got to do its full work in us. It talks about the people gathered and asked Ezra to bring the book or the scroll. It was a big scroll of the law. It had been given to Moses by the Lord. And they read from it publicly from dawn until noon, six hours, from when sun up until about midday. This refers to the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. This was Israel's instruction manual. 
It's amazing when you read those books and you look at that, you can actually see a lot of great instruction for how they were told to live their life. And you've heard us say it here before that this is an owner's manual for you and I. This was Israel's instruction manual for how to walk before God. Ezra the scribe, Ezra was the man responsible for having the temple rebuilt and for returning God's people to worship. Nehemiah, he did all the work in rebuilding the walls. He just carried on that work that Ezra had begun. We know that Ezra cared about God's word because he was a scribe, someone who had copied the Bible by hand. We know he was a man that was devoted to God himself because he was a godly priest. And if you look at the second part of verse 2, it says, all who could hear with understanding. This shows us who needed to hear the word of God. Everyone who could understand it needed to hear it. Verse 3 tells us, then he read from it in the open square. So it was a public reading. Ezra read God's word from daylight to midday, some six hours, and the people listened. This was a move of the Spirit of God. People who will be attentive to the book of the law for some six hours are people that have to be touched by the Spirit of God. From morning is literally the light. These people gathered from dawn to hear God's word. They were willing to sacrifice something to hear it, and that was their time. Maybe a little bit of comfort because maybe they did want to sit down. Maybe they did sit every now and then and stand back up. They wanted it. And like Jacob, they would not let it go until they had their blessing. We live in a culture and all of us know how to read. Those who can't read or can't read well can readily learn how. And we have multiple translations of the Bible. There's the New Living Translation, the New American Standard, the American Standard Version, the King James Version, the New King James Version, the NET or the NET Bible. There's the NIV, there's the NLT, there's all these translations. You can pick one that fits your style of reading. So we have all of this You hear the arguments if you're around Christian circles a lot. Well, the KJV, it's the way to go. I'm King James Version only. It's the truest translation, which is true, it is. And then next would be the New American Standard, and those are great. I study out of the New American Standard. I teach out of the the New King James Version. But I really love to read the New Living Translation and put it up against the King James Version because sometimes that rich these and those vows in the Psalms are just awesome. I love that. And then you read the New Living Translation when you're like, I have no idea what that's saying. You read that and you're like, oh, okay, because the New Living Translation is a thought for thought. Gives you the thought behind the message. See, again, we live in a culture, we have a lot of stuff readily available to us. You can do a Google search on one of your favorite verses. You can look it up in Hebrew and in Greek, whatever you want to do. But yet, most American Christians spend far more time playing pointless computer games or scrolling Facebook or Instagram, Snapchatting, or sitting in front of a TV set that spews out more garbage, and they do very little reading or studying the Word of God. And God has given that, and so we sometimes take our cues from what we see on television. You might see somebody like, man, that's a good idea. That's a great idea on how to do whatever. But I, let me say this, if it goes against this, this book... It's not a good idea. Let me ask you this question. Don't answer it out loud. Just write it down in your notes. How many hours this week did you sit and read your Bible? If you can count that on one hand, that's that's pretty good. Five hours is a decent amount of time. 
But compare that with how many hours you spent doing Facebook, Instagram. You know, and, and don't count your devotional as reading Bible time. That somebody else had written that and given you their thoughts and ideas. How, how many actual hours did you sit with your Bible open and read and study and ask the Lord to pour into you? Compare that with your TV or your computer or your phone app time. Which one was the victor? Which one wins? See, for the good of your soul, I would say I'd like to challenge you to read and reread the Bible all the days of your life. I knew an old guy, and I've told you guys about him. His name is CB. He was one of my mentors. And one time, I knew his uh, son-in-law and daughter, and I was telling them how much I truly enjoyed this man's wisdom. I, I couldn't figure out how this guy got so smart. And his daughter said, you know, before he was a Christian, he was a pretty rough guy. Now, you'd look at him, and you would never see that. She said, but what he does most of the time in his free time is he just sits in his chair and he reads his Bible. And this guy would walk up to you and he would just spew Bible verses. And you were just like, how do you do that? Because he was passionate. He was passionate. In Psalm 119, which extols God's word nine times, the author, probably Ezra, mentions how God's word or some synonym for God's word brings revival. Those verses are Psalm 119, 25, 50, 93, 107, 149, 154, and 156. If you've never done so, I'd encourage you to read through the entire Bible in a year. You can sometimes find an app online that will allow you to do that. For spiritual renewal, God's people must read his word. It's important for us to do that. Look at verse 4 with me. Verse 4 says, And Ezra the scribe stood upon a pulpit of wood, or a stage they had made for the purpose, and beside him stood Matthiah, Shema, and Ananiah, and Uriah, and Hilkiah, and Messiah, and on his right hand and on his left hand, Pedadiah, and Mishael, and Malchai, and Hashem, and Hashbadana, and Zechariah, and Meshulam. If you ever need names for your kids, there's some right there. Verse 5. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for we, he was above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. Imagine how cool that would look if somebody stood up here and just automatic response to God's word, when this book is open, everybody just stood up. The sound that must have made with all those people. I love hearing just the pages of a Bible turning. Sometimes when we do those studies, I'm like, hey, turn here, and you can hear people turn their pages I love that sound. That's one of my favorite sounds. See, what they did, they had taken time to build a wooden platform so the word could be heard. They didn't have microphones. They didn't have lights. They had to speak, and he had to, his voice had to carry. They did practical things so God's word would have its greatest effect. For spiritual renewal, God's people must reverently hear, not only read, but also hear his word expounded. Because here's why. Having ears that work doesn't guarantee that you actually really hear. And here's how I know this. We sometimes close off our minds so that we don't really hear what's being said. Even though we did hear the sounds of the word, anyone that's married, how many of you are married know this? I know it. Your wife's talking to you. Sometimes my wife will be talking to me, and my daughter's like, Dad. And I'm like, what? And you're like, Mom's talking. I'm like, you were talking 
I think maybe I'm losing my hearing. That might just be an excuse. Or maybe I'm just focused on something else. But I hear people talking, but I'm not sure if they are. Maybe you're reading something. You're reading a book, and you just didn't hear a thing the other person said. In the same way, it could be possible to hear the Bible read or preached and not hear a thing. Your mind is elsewhere. That's why it's always my prayer that we not focus on anything other than God's Word. That's why Jesus often said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. He he was asking people, if you have ears to hear, then I want you to hear. He said, take care of how you listen, for whoever has to him shall be more given. And whoever does not have, even what he thinks he has, shall be taken away from him. If the Bible contains the very words of God himself and what he is saying to us, it would certainly do us really good to listen reverently to what he's saying. You know, I, I see people all the time who, who make mistakes, and I'm guilty of it too, where the Word of God says one thing and I go the other way, and then you're just like, man, what was I thinking? God's Word said this. I didn't listen. I, I reap what I sow. Now, I'm not saying that reading God's Word and hearing God's Word expounded upon is going to make your life nothing but sunny, rosy, awesome days. But it will help you better to get through those rough days, and it will give you reason to praise on those great days. But by far, the greatest preparation must happen in the heart, in the heart. We must come willing to forget about ourselves and our own agenda and submit ourselves to God's Word, not the preacher's Word, not my Word. That's why I always tell you, make sure you look up everything I say because I'm human, I make mistakes. Make sure it lines up with God's Word. And so we read that on the right hand and on the left hand, Ezra had men who were supporting him in his ministry of teaching God's word. That's important. The ministry of God's word has the greatest effect when people can see men who are in support of it in obedience to it. And they stood up as they were greeting a royal visitor and they bowed down in worship. And they were not worshiping the actual scroll that Ezra held in his hand, but rather the God who had given the words that needed to be placed on that scroll that had been given to Moses and to them. So attentiveness. Attentiveness stems from reverence. If we maintain our reverence for God and the fact that he is speaking to us through his word, what we'll actually do is we'll wind up paying attention to his word. We'll pay attention to what he says. If we forget that it's the word of the living God that's to us, our minds will wander uh, around to other things. And sometimes I realize that pastors and preachers and teachers can sometimes be boring. I know that. But if I lose your attention, direct your mind to the text of Scripture and ask the Lord to open your heart. Every time you open the Bible, you witness God stepping into situations that seem difficult and even hopeless. He takes those times of insecurity and people of little courage and creates warriors, building good up where evil had taken control. In Nehemiah, you've been witnessing this same story as God has led his people to rebuild the wall around their city. God had promised to restore Israel, and he kept his word. If God did this for his people time and time again, doesn't it hold true that he'll do that for you as well? God still makes promises today, and He continues to fulfill them. We're so glad you joined us today for Come Alive. 
You can hear more teachings from Pastor Mark at comealiveradio.com. Or join us next time to continue studying Nehemiah. Before we end our time with you, though, Tracy has a request to share. Here at Come Alive, we want to make sure we're following God, not what other people around us are saying. With everything we do, we want to honor our Creator and point people to salvation. That's where you come in. We'd appreciate your prayers for Pastor Mark and all of us here at Come Alive. Would you lift us up to the Lord each time you listen to our program? Thank you for interceding on our behalf. Would you consider donating to Come Alive too? Any amount is helpful, and you can easily donate by texting 77977. That's 77977. Thanks so much for prayerfully considering this, and thanks for tuning in for today's edition of Come Alive. Some slaves are what we want.